And then we're going to stand and we're going to read verses 7 through 16 as we get into the teaching together today. I want to thank you guys for your continued prayers. Can I say you guys could stand up? <laughs> let's, let's stand and read the word of God, okay? <laughs> Bonnie is reminding me about Jesse's services. I'm, I'm trying to remember if those have been set. This Friday? You know what? I have to check my notes. That was off of my radar this morning. That's why you reminded me, because you see that. You could see that. I think it's the green shirts that we, you know, on the same page. And um, Okay, you know, I have to check that. Um, I'm sorry? The 14th? Okay, the 14th. 14th at 11. Yeah, that sounds right. The 14th at 11. So that's going to be um, not this Friday, but the following Friday. Yeah, the 14th. Okay. Uh, so then, Jesse, that's the, that, that's the funeral, the, the memorial service for Jesse Spencer. I do remember that uh, I had spoken with uh, um, Richard, uh, her, her son, a few weeks ago about that. But yeah, we got that set. And, you know, I could check my calendar, but I'm not going to do that right now. Um, 14th at, at 11 a.m. Okay. And my honey's is on the 22nd at 11 a.m. as well, down at Chino Valley. Okay, we got that? All right. Let's go ahead and, and read the passage, verse 7 through uh, 16 in Acts chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Don't worry, guys, we're not going to do that. <laughs> you guys are worried if we might continue till noon, much less midnight. <laughs> There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus. And by the way, the, the term young man in the Greek, it speaks of a, a boy, really. He was somewhere in the range of 7 to 14 years old. He's called a young man here. Who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Then he went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, where uh, there intending, then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene, we sailed from there, and the next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we look at this passage, this uh, Service on the first day of the week, the, the death of this, of this boy, the, the incredible miracle that took place on that day through the Apostle Paul. All these things, Lord, would you teach us, Lord, would your spirit be with us to bring these all together in our hearts and minds that we would learn and know and understand what your word has to say to us today. And God, through your spirit, give to us wisdom and discernment 
to know how we are to apply these truths to our lives, in our faith, in the things that we do, the things that we say. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we've been going through the book of Acts, of course, we've been talking about the Apostle Paul, uh, especially in recent studies in terms of uh, the effectiveness of his ministry. And we, we hit on the, on, on the fact that the ministry effectiveness can only take place when it begins with a love for God. Love God first and, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Loving God and loving people. And we've seen Paul showing his love through the encouragement through the word of God uh, to uh, his uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, his love shown through giving and taking this collection that we've been talking about in the churches of Asia as well as in Greece. Uh, in, among these uh, predominantly Gentile churches to take back to the church in Jerusalem who were suffering some financial hardship, as we've talked about. Uh, today we're going to be seeing his love for the people in his intent to give the word of God. And one of, one of the things that we have to keep in mind here is this is, this is Paul's third missionary journey. And we're going to see here in, in the following verses uh, when we begin um, next time at, at verse 17, uh, these are the words that he's going to be speaking to the uh, church elders at the church of Ephesus. He's going to, he's going to call them uh, to Miletus to, to, to meet with them. And, and he speaks to them uh, beginning in verse uh, 17. And one of the things he hits on is the reality that he has been, he had been told, warned, if you will, by certain prophets that when he gets to Jerusalem, now, now we've been talking about he, he's, he's going toward Jerusalem. He's going to give that, uh, uh, that, that offering to the church. He wants to spend the, the, the feast day there and so forth. And so th that's been a focus of his. But he's been, he's been warned that when he arrives there, he's going to be, he's going to get into trouble. He's going to have hardship. He's going to be t bound and, 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 and so forth. And, and we're going to see later that there, his friends and, and, and his brothers and sisters are, will, had been you know, basically pleading with him not to go and so forth, but we'll get to that later. We can't spend a lot of time on that. But that is what's going on. And the reason I bring that up is because he is aware that, and, and we're going to see him speak of this uh, in the next few weeks, he is aware that he is not going to see these people again. So as he's here, in Troas, uh, spending seven days, as we saw in, in the uh, uh, seventh verse of this chapter. Uh, and, and this one evening, uh, on the first day of the week, it was an evening service. Um, you know, as it says that he spoke until midnight, you know, I've often wondered, well, exactly what time did he start? You know, I mean, if he started at 11 p.m., I guess that's not too bad. All <laughs> right, but it was much before that, probably ar around around dusk, you know, six, seven o'clock, something like that. Uh, um, but, but we'll get to that in just a few moments. But the point that I'm making at this point is that he, knowing that he was with them for the last time, he was given, giving to them exactly what he knew they needed most. Talking and teaching about the word of God, faith in Jesus Christ, who he is and all that has to do with that, right? And so he showed his love in doing that. Now, one thing I want to point out is even before we uh, begin to look at verse 7 and forward, uh, I want to point out in verse 6 that we do see that, that Luke writing says, but we sailed away from Philippi. He had uh, uh, joined them in Philippi. And it is likely, I mean, if we, if we look back in the, in the book of Acts, the last time we saw him using this, th this word we in his narrative was when Paul left from Philippi. Uh, 
Luke had remained in Philippi since Paul had been there on his second missionary journey. For, so this will be for several years. And there are some who, who, who believe that the Apostle Paul probably left Luke there in Philippi to pastor this new church that had developed. And, and then when he came back the second time, proper leadership had been established and Luke was free to go to be with him as he goes to Jerusalem on this, on this time. We, we don't know for sure. There's no indication in the scriptures that that's what took place. One thing we know is that when Paul left Philippi on a second missionary journey, Luke did not go with him. Now, as he's in Philippi on the third missionary journey, Luke leaves from Philippi with him. That's what we know. But I think that's a reasonable thought. That could very well be true. As we begin the study here this morning, in chapter 20, verse 7, we see on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day. Let us look at this aspect of meeting on the first day of the week. Now, this is, this is written in such a way that this was their regular habit, meeting on the first day of the week when they gathered together to break bread. Breaking bread is a reference specifically to the Lord's Supper, um, but it also has to do with worship as we remember Christ and so forth. The, the idea of worship is a part of this. But the first day of the week was the day that they did this. Now, this was a Gentile church. It was not in uh, Judea, not in Israel, um, not among Jews, although there would have been some Jews who were a part of this, of course. But it was predominantly a Gentile church, and they met on the first day of the week. Um, and there's nothing that we see through the scriptures that would say that there's anything wrong with that, although for the 2,000-year existence of the church, there has been some controversy about it, and it remains. You know, there, there are some people today who will say that if you don't worship as a Christian, if you don't worship on the Sabbath day, then you're in sin. Well, as we look at the Word of God carefully, we see that that is not true. There is no command in the New Testament for Christians to observe the Sabbath whatsoever. No command at all. Uh, the Jewish, uh, or excuse me, the Jerusalem Council uh, in Acts chapter 15, uh, they, they kept the instructions very minimal to the uh, uh, Gentile churches, and Sabbath keeping was not a part of what they instructed. Uh, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, uh, Paul, of course, writing to the church in Corinth, a Gentile church, says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Referring to the collections for the church in Judea, but he's writing in such a way that they normally gather on the first day of the week, that when you do so, make sure that you uh, get your offering ready so we can, we can pick it up when, when we get there. Um, in his letters, the Apostle Paul does not establish, he says nothing about worshiping on the first day of the week as instruction, but he does refer to it. He refers to it in such a way that, that he gives instruction about what the attitude of the heart ought to, ought to be. In Romans chapter 14, verses 5 through 8, Paul writes, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. That each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. He goes on to speak about why do we judge the servant of another master? 
These people aren't your servants. They're the servant of someone else. And specifically, we see here the servant of God, the servant of the Lord belonging to the Lord, right? And that's the key. And basically what he says here in this passage is each one of us needs to be convinced in our own mind. So he deals with the issue of which day is the appropriate day to gather to worship in this way. Just be convinced in your own mind. And there was an issue, of course, between you know, the, the Jews who were coming to Christ and then the Gentiles who were coming to Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, let, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. The, the law of Moses only provided a foreshadowing of Christ. These various uh, um, times of worship, the feast days, Sabbaths, whatever it may have been, or even the, the diet that a person might have. You know, I mean, there were, there, there were discussions about whether a person could eat meat or just eat vegetables, you know, and we have the same discussion today, you know, and, and we have to be careful. And basically what Paul is saying is don't judge one another over it. Don't judge one another. Don't make it a divisive issue. If one wants to eat meat, let them eat meat. Another wants to eat vegetables only, let them eat vegetables only. I say, as a meat lover, too bad for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm not going to condemn them because they feel that. And, and it's, 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 it can be a healthy diet. Are they healthier than I am? Right now, probably. But the point is simply, let each one do as the Lord leads them to do. You know, I, I've been, um, we were discussing, I was with my sister and my mom yesterday. I had to take, uh, take our dog Fred out, to, out there because I'm going to be driving out to Phoenix this afternoon to spend the week with Tracy out there. Because Jamie and their family, they're going on vacation this next week. Jamie didn't want me to be uh, at home alone. And she saw the movies and she thought some weird things <laughs> might happen. <laughs> you know, anyway. So I'm going to be driving out to Phoenix to spend the week with, with them. But the point being, uh, we were discussing with, with, uh, with, with Joyce and talking about my mom. She's 88, things that she's going through, talking about, you know, uh, diets and so forth and you know, uh, she took care of my dad for the last several years of his life, you know, and, and she would kind of get on him. And I think I've mentioned this to you, you know, she would get on him, you know, if he was doing something, you know, eating something you shouldn't eat or not eating something you should or whatever. And we, I remember doing the same thing with Pops, you know. I mean, you know, his daughters would just be concerned for him, you know. And, and, and it's like I, w I was thinking, and, and we all came to this place, but in my heart it's like, Come on, the guy's 90 years old. <laughs> Let him enjoy his food. In fact, she was just saying that her husband, Rick, has some lung issues and stuff, and, and uh, he's, not, he's not that old. He's only 76, but, but uh, he, he, he mentioned there, he said, you know, the one thing in life that I have left that I enjoy is eating food that I like. And it's like, let him. Let them, you know. I mean, that's that's my thing. So, if you guys see me seeing eating something that you don't think I should eat, please be quiet, okay? <laughs> Just let me enjoy it. Just let me enjoy it. Okay. You can have your salad. I'll have my steak and ice cream afterward, okay? But the same with. What day do you worship? Now, the interesting thing about the, the passage in, in Romans is that Paul does say some esteem each day alike. And I like that because really, even as, as we go to the Old Testament, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it, right? Every day the Lord has made for us. Every day should be a day of worship. We can't say, I, I worship on Sunday. Does that mean you don't worship on Monday? Tuesday, Wednesday? 
No, we gather as a church to worship on Sunday, but every day is a day of worship, right? That's where hearts ought to be. You know, and, and really, we all ought to fall into that camp, esteeming every day alike, because this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So, so, so these are the things that, that we need to look at. Um, in the second century, Justin Martyr, many of you have, have seen and read his name, he described how Christians of his day worshipped. He writes, on the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together in one place, and the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly because Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. It was established early on that the first day of the week ought to be the week that we gather together to worship simply because we celebrate the resurrection, not just on Easter, but on every first day of the week. I was listening to Pastor Chuck on this, and he was talking about the biblical numerology and, and the number uh, the number seven is the day of completion, the day of perfection, and the number eight is the day of new beginnings. So, you know, the, the first day of the week being the number eight, when you go one through seven, you start over again. That's the eighth day, but it's the first day of a new week. It's a new beginning. It's a number of new beginnings, which fits very well with the idea of resurrection, doesn't it? You know, and, and, and so th that's what we do. It, we, we just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, worshiping on that day. There are, there are some who have uh, opposed worshiping on a Sunday, gathering on a Sunday, because the etymo et etymology of the word goes back to worshiping the sun god. On the Sunday being the day of the sun god. But Saturday has the idea of Saturn, worshiping Saturn. Monday, moon, moon you know, worshiping the moon. I mean, th that's how the days, you know, it doesn't mean that's what we do. But, you know, so it's like, and one, one thing that Pastor Chuck said, because, you know, I mean, actually, I think the sun is greater than Saturn anyway. So I'll just worship on Sunday. So anyway, the sun, S-U-N, greater than Saturn. Going on, breaking of bread. This is what they did. They, they regularly broke bread when they gathered together on the first day of the week. You know, uh, again, as I mentioned, a reference specifically to the Lord's Supper, but it is a reference to worship as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And probably this referred, this term, uh, breaking of bread, referred to a gathering in having a, a fellowship meal, very similar to what we, we will be doing next week on Koinonia Sunday, gathering together and during that meal, celebrating the Lord's Supper. That's normally what they would do. So that, that, that's just what, they're in, what, what it, it's in reference to. Um, Acts 2.42 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and prayers. These were the four pillars, if you were, of the early church. The apostles' doctrine. That's what we're looking at right now in the New Testament. The apostles' doctrine. Uh, the uh, fellowship, gathering together to fellowship. Now, we, we come together on Sunday primarily to worship God, right? But fellowship does occur in our time here. But we worship the Lord in song. We worship the Lord as we sit at his feet as the word comes to us. We worship the Lord as we pray. And, and, and really, in our fellowship with each other, that's a form of worship also. In the sense of we're, we're, we're being obedient in our fellowship with one another. In our koinonia, in our in our, in our oneness, in, in, in sharing together and partaking together. You know, koinonia is a word that's hard to 
to nail down with one English word, but it's all of those things together. But this is a worship service. We're here to worship the Lord, and, and, and it's a service. The idea, the idea of service brings to mind the word giving. We're here to give to the Lord his due. We're to give to him the worship that he is due, the praise that, that, that belongs to him. That's what we're here to do. And even the word worship in the English, again, the etymology of that, has, it's a shortened version of the term worth-ship. Worth-ship. He is worthy so we worship him. In Revelations 4, the scene is heaven. And these are some words that we find in that chapter of the worship that is taking place. In Revelation 4, verse 8, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Then verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. If you go on to chapter 5 and read some more words, very, very similar to this, the scene of in heaven being worshipped. You know, and I just think about how, how my honey loves to worship Jesus. She loved to worship Jesus while she was here, and she's continuing to worship him up there. You know, this is the scene there, worship. So I'm just so happy for her because of that. She loved worship while here. And by the way, as I speak that way, when I say she loved worship, you know, sometimes, and just the other day, I'll just share this with you as an aside. It has to do with the way we talk about one who's gone to be with the Lord. You know, sometimes, like when I say she loved worship, it's not, she ha it's not like she has stopped loving worship. But, you know, she loved it while she was here. We saw her worship while she was here. We, we, we witnessed her service unto the Lord while she was here as a part of her worship. But she, she, she loved to, to, to worship the Lord in song. I mean, often on a... On a Sunday morning, you know, she, 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 she would be, if she would be one of the first ones to stand if the if the Lord led her to stand, you know, and she would lead me in that way. She would stand. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stand too. You know, I mean, she would. She honestly would. But in in speaking about her, you know, Tracy mentioned that, you know, it's just so hard for me to think of her in past tense. And I shared with her, well, we we don't have to think of her in past tense. Because our experience with, in, with her is past tense. Our experience with her here in this world is past tense. She's gone ahead of us to the Lord's presence where we, because of our faith in the Lord, will be going. And so we're just going to pause right now. And, and, and just somehow coming up with ways to, and, and I know that that's what we're thinking, but I think sometimes the way that we word things, if we say things often enough, it kind of begins to guide the way that we think. It's like she's not past tense. The things that she did while here are past tense. She's not. So while she was with us, it wasn't it wonderful to watch her worship. You know what I mean? Saying those kinds of things um, and terming it in a way so that we are always aware of the reality that each one of us is an eternal being in the sense of once we were created, we are going to continue to exist. No human being stops existing. But we define eternal life as being in the presence of God. Eternal death as being away from him. But still existing. That, that's the idea that we have before us. But we're, we're going before him. So th those are some of the things that, that we've been talking about and, and, and thinking of. And it's like just wording it in such a way that that is very clear in terms of what we believe, what we know to be true in terms of our future. I think sometimes the way we talk, we can kind of sometimes dis, I, I, don't, I don't want to say dismiss, but we are just simply not showing an awareness of our future. You know what I mean? And the hope of heaven always is before us. We need to 
We need to speak that way. Well, in regard to worship, again, another passage is in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as we are assembled together right now, not forsaking that as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, this is another thing I was talking with uh, my, my sister and my mom yesterday uh, is this idea of gathering together. You know, when, when COVID hit and we stopped meeting as a church for that eight or ten weeks or whatever it was and, and even missed gathering on Easter Sunday, which, I mean, I still can't believe that we did that, you know. But we did. And, you know, uh, watching worship services online from our homes became something that was a regular thing, you know, and, you know, you guys have come back to church. There are some who still are doing that at home, you know, and some of you may be watching right now at home. And I I hope that if you're watching at home because you can't get out, you know, I, I think in, in the situation that my mom and Joyce are in, my mom really can't travel anymore. So for a shut-in, it's a wonderful thing. Online services are a wonderful thing because they can join a worship service remotely, but participate to at least some degree. But during that period of time in COVID, you know, it became a convenience for some people and just stopped coming to church because they began to believe that they could worship from home. And I'm not saying that worship can't happen, but it certainly isn't the same. It certainly isn't as intense. There's something special about being in a gathering of believers where the Holy Spirit is present and where he is lifted up, God is lifted up through our praises. You know, he inhabits or he is enthroned in the praises of his people. You know, and, and uh, when you got just a, a, a family at home, I mean, he can be enthroned there as well, but it's much greater with a larger gathering, you know. And it's just not the same. It's not, and, and we miss out on some things. So I do want to encourage you, if you're looking at home, you know, please continue watching if you can't come. Uh, if you can come, please join us because we, we want you to be a part and, and not miss out on what the Lord has for you during a worship service. In terms of the breaking of bread, the communion service, we as a church, we do have three opportunities every month to do that. Uh, next Sunday, the second Sunday of the month, our Koinonia Sunday, We'll celebrate communion at the end of the morning service. Then we will have our uh, our koinonia meal. The last Wednesday of the month is uh, a day. We just this past Wednesday, we celebrated communion because it was the last Wednesday of the month. Did that at the end of the service. Then on the first Thursday of every month, we have our prayer and communion service. Uh, That's our prayer meeting with communion at the end of the prayer meeting. That happens every first Thursday of the month. By the way, that's this Thursday. So join us this week as we pray, seeking the Lord, and celebrate communion afterward. Paul teaches God's word, we see here in verse uh, verse 7. He spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, the verbiage here and in another place here in this passage spoke to them, it speaks about dialogue. So what was going on, it wasn't just a sermon taking place for six hours. And that may have been a part of it, but then it was open for discussion, like, like we'll do in a, in, a, in a small group Bible study. You know, uh, questions being asked, and, and Paul was very willing to remain there to answer these questions, to give them his heart, to share with them what he knew, what, what, what the Lord had given to him, so that they would be equipped in their walk with the Lord. He remained for s- several hours 
doing that, we say we, we see. And again, he continued until midnight. We are not told when it started. As I said a little while ago, I've often wondered exactly when did they start. Because it, it was probably five or six hours by the time midnight hit that they were having these discussions. You know, and it makes me uh, re remember, causing me to, to recall what, in, in my visit to India, I, I went in 1987. Gosh, it's been like 30, 36 years ago now. Uh, I, I went to, to India with Pastor David and at, at Calvary, Ontario at the time, and a couple of other brothers. And on our final day there, in this one area, we, uh, um, it was on a Sunday, and uh, the local church, the local house church, uh, hosted us. And there was a group of like 35 or 40 of us. And so we joined them in this house. It was India. I think it was April. It was hot. It was muggy. It was not pleasant. It really wasn't. In fact, one of the, one of the lady, ladies that was with us passed out during the service because of the lack of oxygen. She was the, the new Utica, female version of Eutychus, but she wasn't sitting in a window, and we weren't three stories up. But she, she passed out. That's basically what it was, just from the heat and being together, the body heat, the humidity and all that. In this case, with Eutychus, it's, the, it's mentioned that there were many lamps in the room. It was dark, so they had the lamps. So you know, all, all the fumes from, from the lamps and the heat, and, the, and it's like it was just uh, a, well, it was a Eutychus fall wait, waiting to be happened kind of a thing, right? But this, this, this young boy, he, he sat in the window because he needed some air, and he fell asleep anyway. Then, then he fell out the window to his death. That's basically what took place. But uh, uh, in, in India, not only were, were, were those the conditions, but it, the service went on for hours. I mean, there, there was worship, and then there was testimony, then a message, and then more worship, then more testimony, then lunch. And that's when we got away after lunch. They were going to begin once again after the lunch break. And they wanted us to stay. Oh, we, gotta, we have a bus we got to catch, you know, and... And they, they were begging us to stay, but it was very, very sweet, uh, the, the way that they hosted us. They, they, f they fed us a great meal, probably the best meal that we had our entire time in, in India w was during that. But gathering together for worship. As I mentioned, Paul knew this was the last time he was going to see them, so he gave them the word of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes to them, For this reason... We also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. And when we believe that what we are re reading here from, from the Bible, hearing on a Sunday morning, discussing as we refer to scriptures and so forth, is the truth of God's word, there's some, something that God does through that. My, my bride has an incredible love for God's word. And, and, and we saw that in her, in her ministry. And going back a few decades now, when, when our daughter Tracy was in junior high school, she had a tough time in her junior high and high school years. She had a tough time. She, she uh, gravitated toward people who were not healthy for her. And we had to end some of those relationships. But at this time in junior high, you know, Tracy had these friends, and we could see the impact that these friends were having on her. And Jeanette decided, you know what? I don't remember what day of the week it was, but one day during the week after school, she gathered them together for Bible study. Began to do this on a weekly basis, Tracy and about five or six of her friends in the house. Bible study. Well, years later, Tracy learned that one of these friends that was that helped her get into trouble came to Christ. And she told Tracy it was it was because your mom gave us Bible study. That was the root of it. You know, and, and, and God is so faithful. 
He's so faithful. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and snow from heaven, this is very familiar to us, and do not return there, but water the earth and bring it and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So even this morning, the word of God that we are receiving, it, it is going to accomplish in our hearts what God intends it to do. And for those who, who may not be saved, it is going to accomplish in their hearts what God intends it to do. Now, we cannot say that everybody who hears the word of God gets saved, but there's some kind of work that it does in their hearts that brings them to a place where they choose what they determine they want to do with it. So we can talk about the, the sower of the seed, right, in Matthew chapter 13. One thing we do see there is that God's word produces fruit. In that 23rd verse there in Matthew 13, but he receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. So one thing for us as believers, the word of God is going to produce fruit in us as we take it seriously and obey it. John 17, verses 16 to 19 say this, Jesus is speaking. He is actually praying to his father. He prays, they are not of the world, speaking of his apostles, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. God's word also not only produces fruit, but it sets us apart. Sets us apart from this world and to himself. Sets us apart from our our behavior before Christ to a life of holiness. We are set apart by the word of God. If our lives are to produce fruit for God, we must obey him. In Philippians 2, 12 and 13, we see these words written by the Apostle Paul once again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. We need to take note that Paul writes that we are to work out our own salvation, not work for our own salvation. Because we are saved, that salvation works out in our, uh, in our lives through the word of God and the power of God's spirit. And so we are to give attention to that, but it, the key to that is obedience. Now Jesus said in John 13, verse 17, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Doing them, not just knowing them, do them. You can memorize the entire word of God. If you don't do what it says, it's useless to you. Oh, you could gain a lot of admirers at your intellectual ability to do that. But with God, you get nowhere. You get nowhere. It is doing the word of God. So, Eutychus falls out this window. This young man or this boy Let's just say he was about 12 years old. We'll just say that. That, that falls into the range of, of, of this description. This 12-year-old boy, his, his parents, at least one of them, maybe both, but at least one of them is, is there with the Apostle Paul, hearing what he has to say, perhaps asking some questions. He's there, this 12-year-old this, this boy is, is, is listening, but he's getting, man, it's getting so stuffed in here. I, I need some fresh air. He goes to the window, sits in it, falls asleep anyway, falls down to his death. And as we see in verse 9, Paul uh, writes, he was over, excuse me, Luke writes. Now remember, Luke was there. And Luke was a doctor. So as he writes, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead 
I would have to say, as a doctor, you know, is there a doctor in the house kind of thing, right? He was the doctor in the house. I would have to say that he was probably one of the first to get down there to see if he's okay, right? And Luke wrote, based on his experience, he was taken up dead. He already had died. There, there are some who, who will say that, you know, it's, it's hard to take, say exactly what happened because there's no really con real confirmation that he actually was indeed dead. But Luke wrote, I, th I think that's wrong. There's absolute confirmation. Luke, the doctor, who was an eyewitness and there said he was taken up dead. I think we have to believe that, right? We have to believe that. And so, imagine the scene. I, I mean, this Bible study, as they're conversing about the Bible, asking questions and so forth, we could call it maybe a, 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 a overnight seminar with the Apostle Paul. You know, he, it was interrupted by this boy falling out the window. They, they all run out there. I mean, mom and dad are, are, are just horrified about what, what has happened. You know, uh, uh, weeping and wailing begin to, begin to take place. And Paul goes down. Verse 10. He went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, moments after Luke says he was taken up dead, Paul says his life is in him. Paul did not say his life remains in him or is still in him. He said his life is in him. Now, as we read these words that he fell on him and embraced him, it reminds us of the ministries of Elijah and Elisha of the Old Testament. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 21 and 22, the woman that that Elijah was staying with. Uh, she had a little bit of meal and, and, and so forth, and, and God caused that to last so that she could feed herself, her son, and Elijah continually on a daily basis. Just miraculously able to do that. But in this home, uh, this, this boy got sick and died. The passage says in a few verses before this that he stopped breathing. Well, Elijah stretched himself out on the child, verse 21, three times, cried out to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. In Elisha's ministry in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, and he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. So he turned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened up his eyes. Paul fell on this boy, and he revived. He said his life is in him. Now, it would seem that Paul took the methods of these prophets of the Old Testament. But we have to be careful about methodology. Because we will do this. We, we may have a, do a retreat or have a special service, uh, a, a night of worship service or a, a women's breakfast or brunch or men's breakfast or whatever. And, and we see that, or maybe a particular Sunday morning, it just, the Lord's presence is very powerful. And looking back on that, we can talk, now how did that happen? What did we do? Okay, we started this way, and then we did this. This is the prayer. Let, let's not forget that phrase in the prayer. You know, and those kinds of things. And, and, and we, we begin to think that it's according to our method that the Lord begins to work through. And we have to be very, very careful about that. We just have to be in awe of the way that God chooses to use people. There's nothing that God does through a human being that is due to that human being, regardless of what he does. One thing that I need to continually remind myself of is God can speak through a donkey if he wants to. 
It certainly doesn't elevate me, nor should it. I shouldn't be, because it is the Lord by his spirit who does the work of teaching and preaching that, does, that, that, that brings any kind of benefit or blessing to any person. So we, we've just got to be careful about that. Let's just ask God to work, pray and seek him, and allow him to work and be in awe when he does. And something that Pastor Chuck Smith used to say an awful lot was that, that he would just sit back and watch the Lord work and he was marveling at what he would do. You know, from the very beginning of that small Calvary Chapel in, in, in Newport Beach overlooking the ocean where there were 25 people until there were literally thousands of Calvary Chapels throughout the world. Just the work of God. Let's never take that credit from him. We talked about this this past Wednesday night, allowing God to get the credit, worshiping him, honoring him because of it. An incredible miracle took place here. The gift of faith was in action. The gift of healing, the gift of miracles, all on display through the Apostle Paul on this occasion. And then we see Luke writing in verse 12. They brought the young man in alive after, of course, Paul had uh, uh, come up. He broke bread, ate, talked a while longer, even till daybreak. I suppose another five or six hours. And then he left. And they brought the young man in, and they were all not a little comforted, meaning they were all greatly comforted. And what an understatement that must have been. I mean, that, that just, uh, not just a little comforted, but greatly comforted. You know, the way that, that, that Luke writes this, he, there's an absence of drama from it. He's just so very matter-of-fact the, the way that he writes it. You know, he, he doesn't seem to want to attract anyone to follow after uh, the Lord Jesus or listen to the Apostle Paul because of this act, because of the excitement and the, the incredible nature of it. And really one of the, the, one of the arguments that supports the truth of these events, to be honest with you, um, we don't need to entice people uh, uh, to Jesus through spectacular means. Some church churches seem to believe that has to happen. The word of God is powerful enough in and of itself, isn't it? The word of God in its power and the work of the Holy Spirit as he touches hearts. We just need to present the word of God praying to the Lord that he'll use the word of God. The Lord seems to turn things around for us in our lives. And in an, in an instant, I mean, just think of the, the hearts of the parents of this boy. One moment he falls out the window and he falls to his death. He's dead. And a few moments later, we're not, giving, we're not given any timeline here. But you've got to think it wasn't more than just a few minutes, 10, 15 minutes at the most. You would think that Paul laid on this boy and some might ask, well, the way this is worded, the way that it was worded um, with, with uh, Elisha, that, that sounds like that could have been mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. God's the giver of life. And he's the one that did that. So one moment this, this boy had died, and then a moments later, he was now alive. Just a roller coaster of emotions that, that went at that time. It's just incredible. Incredible. And we, we need to give, uh, um, I think we need, to, we need to understand that. But that's what the Lord does for us. In Jeremiah 31, verse 13, the second part of that verse, God speaks through Jeremiah, For I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. Well, that's something that relates, that, that I relate to a lot right now. We all do. We all do. He will turn our mourning to joy, make us rejoice rather than sorrow. And, and it is true. When I think about my honey being with the Lord, and, and you know, I don't want to take a lot of time in, in, in talking about this kind of a thing, but, you know, scripturally speaking, in terms of 
You know, do, does Jeanette actually have a body right now? I don't know. Scripture indicates that those who go before us, they will rise in Christ first. You know, God, in that passage of 1 Thessalonians 4, he puts the bodies back together, brings the soul from heaven to join it with the body, and they rise first, and then those who remain will be caught up with them in the air, and thus will be with the Lord forever. That, that's, what, that's what the Bible says. Does she, have a Bible, does she have a body right now? I don't know. Does she have a Bible? That's what it is. She doesn't need one. She's got Jesus right there. But she is with him because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Some kind of a soul presence? I don't know. Some people will say, well, maybe we had a temporary body. I don't know. That may be possible. The Bible doesn't say that. That's just a guess. We don't know. All we know is we're present with him somehow. We tend to relate presence in a physical way. I don't think it necessarily has to be the case. She's with him. She's worshiping him. That causes my heart to rejoice. Doesn't it cause your heart to rejoice? And when you think of your loved ones, when you think about Jeanette, others who've gone before us, it just, it just simply does. Finally, in verses 13 through 16, we'll get through this quickly because it just speaks about the itinerary of, of, of the, the sailing of the ships and, and Paul walking and so forth. Verse 13, then, he, then we went ahead to the ship, sailed to Assos, there intending to take Paul on board, for he'd given orders intending himself to go on foot. It would seem that that Paul wanted to remain there in Troas just to make sure that the boy was okay, perhaps. Maybe a few people wanted him to remain because they had some questions that didn't get answered that night. I don't know. But he remained a short time, and then he walked. We don't, there's no indication that anybody went with him, but because he did go, and it just simply says he, it doesn't mean that there wasn't anybody with him either. It could be that he wanted to walk because it gave him some time with some people to, 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 to you know, it, it, it was about a one-day journey, about 20 miles away uh, to, um, to Assos, uh, and he was going to meet the, them there. So it was a one-day walk and maybe even a little bit longer going on the ocean because it's kind of a shortcut just walking, but they were going to continue to sail on to Jerusalem. And uh, from, from there, they went to Middling there in verse 14, verse 15, to Chios, opposite Chios. following day at Samos, and they, they stayed at Trogillium. The next day they came to Miletus. And there Paul is going to stay for a short time. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. And so we're going to see as in verse 17 that he calls for the church the elders in the church in Ephesus can come down and meet him in Miletus. And that's about a two-day walk. He sends someone for a two-day walk. They come back two, two days, maybe three, one day to gather everybody together. I don't know. But four or five days later, he speaks to them beginning in verse uh, 18. And we're going to begin to talk about that next time that we're together. But an incredible miracle of God and, and the important, importance of gathering together, seeing that the church early on did indeed gather on the first day of the week as we always have done since that time as we continue to do. You know, um, if someone wants to meet on a Saturday to worship the Lord, let's not get into some kind of a discussion about why we shouldn't do that. If you're convinced that this is what we ought to do, then let's continue doing that and we'll let them do that. And if they feel like we should do that, I, let's not let them, uh, uh, you know, I mean, point to those passages that Paul writes, you know. You know, we, we, we disregard every, every day alike. You know, every day is a worship day, but we gather on the first day of the church because that's what Acts indicates that the early church did. That's why we do it. So let's not make issues. Let's not bring division. Let's just simply allow ourselves to worship the Lord as he leads us to do so. Amen. And Father, we pray that you'll have your way in our hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the way that you um, speak to us through your word. And, and these things that we see, um, this incredible miracle of, 
Paul being used by you to resurrect this, this boy named Eutychus. Lord, thank you for your ongoing work within and through your church. These are the kind of things, Lord, well, they're, they're miracles and don't happen often, but they do. Sometimes we wonder why the miracles we pray for don't happen. That, that's something that I'm very familiar with in, in, in recent months and, and, and years with my honey, Lord, but she's with you now, and gosh, Lord, I can't complain about that, the joy that she must be filled with, Lord. I, I just rejoice with that. Whatever your purposes may be in allowing someone to get sick and allowing someone to, uh, to, to, to leave their body, bringing them home with you, and, and, then, and, and then we're left in, in a state of mourning and, and all, Lord, you want to do something with that. You want to join us together. Maybe it's just a way that you want the church to come together to show their love for one another, something that I certainly have experienced, Lord, for which I thank you. God, have your way. Lord, might we learn to have differences with others within the body of Christ. Differences that are not essential, just allow us to live and worship according to the way that we're led to do so. And so, God, have your way. Be glorified. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys. Richard and Susan are going to lead us in one last song and then dismiss us. Guys, thank you for being with us today to lead us in worship. You guys are a blessing to us. You really are. Afterward, I encourage you guys to hang out and fellowship together. Be a blessing to one another. And uh, we'll see you next time we're together. God bless you. I don't, I don't want to move. Okay. You stay right there because, you know, a couple weeks ago you had a birthday. I did. And we're not forgetting that you had a birthday. Yeah, right. We're not. <laughs> okay. So turn around. <laughs> well, that's why you guys left the service early. How sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. No candles. They wouldn't fit, right? Okay. Thank you so much, you guys. Let's enjoy the cake, okay? But let's close with a worship song. Thank you. Thank you.